fool laughs, it's like thorns crackling in a fire. It doesn't mean a thing. When a wise man cheats someone, he is acting like a fool. If you take a bribe, you ruin your character. The end of something is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. Keep your temper under control. It is a foolish to harbor a grudge. Never ask, oh, why were things so much better in the old days? It's not an intelligent question. Everyone who lives ought to be wise. It's as good as receiving an inheritance and will give you as much security as money can. Wisdom keeps you safe. This is the advantage of knowledge. Think about what God has done. How can anyone straighten out what God has made crooked? When things are going well for you, be glad. And when trouble comes, just remember, God sends both happiness and trouble. You never know what is going to happen next. And continuing over to 25. But I devoted myself to knowledge and study. I was determined to find wisdom and the answers to my questions and to learn how wicked and foolish stupidity is. I found something more bitter than death. Woman, the love she offers you will catch you like a trap or like a net and her arms around you will hold you like a chain. A man who pleases God can get away, but she will catch the sinner. Yes, said the philosopher, I found this out little by little while I was looking for answers. I have looked for other answers, but have found none. I found one man and a thousand that could respect, but not one woman. This is all that I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we made ourselves very complicated. Well, how am I going to get a Father's Day sermon out of that? Uh, not really sure I can. Um, before I start commenting on the scripture Tom read, uh, happy Father's Day to uh, all the fathers and the grandfathers, of which I am one, and all four of my grandchildren are back here. Uh, hi, guys. So they may be talking to me during the course of the sermon, I don't know. Um, but uh, rather than a, a specific uh, Father's Day message, um, I'm going to talk about life. That's what Solomon is talking about here in Ecclesiastes 7. And um, fathers can benefit from this as far as being a father and leading children and grandchildren and ways of wisdom rather than ways of foolishness. But uh, this applies to all of us. So uh, I'm going to begin uh, by saying that in everyone's life, some tears must be shed. We uh, shed tears when we are in pain, physical and emotional. We shed tears when we are sorrowful and also when we're bored. Soon after we moved here, our youngest son, John, was maybe four years old. And um, we're sitting there in the house just, you know, being in the house, hanging out, and uh, all of a sudden, John just burst out in tears. 
They cried and cried and cried and could not be comforted. Finally, when he settled down, I asked him, you know, something must have made him cry like that, but he, he, he didn't get hurt. It's not like something happened where he, he didn't get his way or, uh, you know, anything like that. So, uh, so I asked him, uh, John, what's wrong? Why are you crying? He said, I am so bored. So you've heard of being bored to tears. <laughs> this literally happens. So life is unfair. It's painful and incredibly boring. So how do we resolve this problem? Well, there's a way that seems good but really isn't. And there's a way that seems bad, but is actually better. Contrasting these two different approaches to life is what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Which approach should we take? The way that seems good, but really isn't? Or the way that seems bad, but is actually better? It's another way of saying what Solomon has been saying all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. There are two ways to live, uh, that is life under the sun, life apart from God, or life under heaven, uh, heaven being above the sun, uh, that is life with God at the center of life. The preacher uh, who was writing this, in some versions it says philosopher, some a teacher, uh, but I like the term preacher. So uh, the, the preacher uh, says that it's foolish to try to make sense of life apart from God. That's a good observation, isn't it? In today's passage, passage we see Solomon taking this same approach to the problem of an empty, meaningless life. He contrasts one way of living with another so that we can see where each way of living leads and having seen that to make the wise decision. Let me make this offhand comment here since it is Father's Day. Uh, we know that Solomon had three or uh, three, yeah, three, 700 wives and 300 concubines, 1,000 women. We don't know how many children he had, but we know that he had to have some. <laughs> So uh, Solomon is, you know, he, he's looking at life in the, the vantage point of, look, I don't know how many kids you have, uh, but I have more. I don't know how many wives you have. You probably just have one. Um, but I have more. And uh, he is telling us something out of his experience. Um, but besides having the large family, he had a large estate, uh, he had a lot of money, he had power, you know, he had everything. He had everything anybody could ever want. And what he's saying here is when you consider, I, I've had the world, I've, I've had more than everybody else who's probably ever lived. And I, I'm here to tell you that it's not satisfying. It, it doesn't bring happiness or satisfaction, contentment. Anything like that. Only one thing does when God is the center of your life. And he's saying this at the end of his life when he's looking back to everything that he's ever experienced and he's come out with, with, with this advice, this sage advice. 
And there are two ways of living. You can live your life apart from God. That is uh, the way he describes it. It's life under the sun. Or you can live it with God at the center. And only one of those ways will satisfy, and that is God at the center. Okay, so those are the two approaches to life. And uh, we've looked at these two approaches. You know, Solomon does this all the way through. So we, we think, you know, why do we have to keep talking about uh, the, the same thing over and over again? Um, well, it's to get the point across. You know, there's really only one way of life that, that brings satisfaction. And, um, you know, Solomon wants to showcase that. Um, but he does it in contrast to the, the other way of life. So this is what he does. He's making contrasts and comparisons all the way through uh, the, the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I thought maybe the way uh, we could consider these two different approaches to life would, would be in a contemporary context. So uh, let's look at them as showcases. Uh, that's pretty much what Solomon does. You know, there's showcase number one, there's showcase number two. Uh, have you ever seen The Price is Right? Chances are you are, you have. You know, The Price is Right has been around since 1956. Can you believe that? So the year my wife was born, that's when Bill Cullen came on the air and you know, hosted this popular game show. Uh, any show that's been around for that long is, uh, you're bound to have seen it sometime or another. Uh, so I watched it in the 60s when Bill Cullen was the host and then Bob Barker took over and what was the host for, for decades, I guess. Uh, but I really haven't seen it since uh, Bob Barker went off as the uh, as the host of the show, uh, but I, I do remember uh, from those days when I did watch the, the show that at the conclusion of the show there were two contestants with the highest winnings and they advanced to the showcase. And uh, I really don't want to go into how you get to that round, partly because I don't know. Uh, and the other reason is uh, I don't want to take time if I did know. but. I think you get the idea. Uh, there is value in each of the showcases, and the contestants have to determine which showcase is more valuable. So, would it be showcase number one, which is death day, or showcase number two, which is birthday? Which is more valuable? Well, most of us would probably go with showcase number two, you know, birthday. You know, the day that you were born, every year we celebrate the day that we were born. And uh, I, I thought about bringing party hats and those little things go, you know, like that. And uh, maybe have a big cake and everything. But uh, then I thought, well, everybody would just get distracted by that and miss the point. So, and besides, I don't want to spend the money. So, there you go. Just imagine that, uh, you know, it, it's party time, it's celebration time, it's enjoyment, it's frivolity. And uh, lots of fun. So why would someone choose death day, you know, going to the funeral parlor, rather than going to, say, Chuck E. Cheese or wherever it is you might want to have a, a birthday party? Um, why would we do that? Well, Solomon says in um, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Really? He goes on to say it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. 
You mean to say it's better to go to the funeral parlor than it is to go to the beef house? You ever been to the beef house or had beef house steak or beef house rolls? Oh boy, they're, they're really good. It's, it's a drive from here, uh, but it's, it's really good. So if you can imagine, why would Solomon say it's better to go to the funeral parlor than it is to go to your favorite restaurant? He said, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Really? For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. So, okay, here's what I want you to do. Just look really sad. I mean, really sad. Uh, you know, the way that you usually do when I'm up here. <laughs> uh, you just ruined it. He said, it says sorrow is better than laughter. By sadness of faith, the heart is made glad. Uh, that really makes no sense. It's, 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 a mystery, it's a mystery to us. Everything in this passage that we're looking at is, is mysterious. The, the whole book is mysterious. And, and a, a, a lot of what God is saying to us uh, through Solomon is, is just a mystery. It, it's a mystery how sorrow can be better than laughter and sadness by sadness of faith faced uh, the, the heart is, is made glad. So when, uh, you know, Jared was talking about the, the mystery of, of the Trinity, um, you know, God is mysterious and we can't really figure him out. But there are times when he gives us a message that seems to go contrary to what we think is right. Uh, and, and this is one of those times when we need to perk up and listen to what he's saying to us. So we go on. He says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And there you see mirth means laughter or merriment. So Solomon is saying things that seem to go, to go against our grain. It, seems, it all seems to be counterintuitive. So uh, let's figure it out. He, he is essentially presenting to us two showcases. Showcase number one, the day of death. And key words there that, that describe the day of death. House of mourning, sorrow, sadness of face, uh, rebuke. Uh, the end, and patient. And uh, contrast that with showcase number two. Uh, think about a birthday, celebrating someone's birth. So it's a house of feasting, there's laughter. It's a house of mirth, that is enjoyment, laughter, or merriment. Uh, there are songs, celebrating the beginnings, and uh, you feel proud that you attain this age. Um, so which one of these is more valuable? or more desirable, desirable. Is there any logical reason why we should choose Showcase 1 over Showcase 2? Remember Showcase 1, the day of death, Showcase 2, the day of birth. You know, Showcase 1 sounds like hell, and Showcase 2 sounds like an endless vacation. That's what it seems like. And yet we are told clearly and repeatedly that the items in Showcase 1 are better than Showcase 2. The preacher in Ecclesiastes wants us to compare these two showcases. And when we have done that, he wants us to understand and embrace the truths of what he's saying, mysterious as they are. He wants us to understand that there is a way that seems good but is I'm, I'm sorry, there is a way that seems 
Hold on. I lost my place. Let me start over here. He wants us to understand that there is a way that seems good but isn't as good as it seems. And he wants us to understand that there is a way that seems bad but it's actually better than the way that seems good. There we go. You understand uh, where we are so far? Some of you are nodding your heads. So I'm going to go with that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a close look at each of these showcases, and we're going to do it in reverse order. First, uh, I want us to look at showcase number two. Now, the showcase that seems good, but is actually not as good as it seems. And then we're going to look at showcase number one, the showcase that seems bad, but is actually better than the way that seems good. Got it? So here we go. Showcase number two. The way that seems good, but isn't as good as it seems. As we have noted, life is unfair, it's painful, and incredibly boring. So how do we deal with all of this emptiness? And showcase number two looks attractive. It can be described as a way of escape. In the first several chapters of Ecclesiastes, we've looked at various routes that people attempt to provide for themselves in order to get away from the meaningless, the mundaneness, the boringness of life. And these escape routes, route, route, <laughs> I use them interchangeably. Now I'm using the term route. Anyway, uh, the escape route can be identified as belonging to one of two categories fantasies and formulas, and Solomon refers to both of them. By fantasy, I mean the things of the imagination that promise escape from the pain and boredom of life. The object of fantasy is to shut out the pain of everyday life. Woody Allen once said, and I'll put it up here, he said, in real life, people disappoint you. They are cruel and life is cruel. I think there is no win in life. Reality is very painful, tough thing that you have to cope with in some way. What we do is escape into fantasy, and it does give us moments of relief. So that's what we want to do, escape. We live in an escapist culture. The object is to shut out the pain of everyday life. It's why we have such a huge alcohol and drug epidemic. We want to escape, and that promises, those things promise a way of escape. We want to you know, get away from the, the pain and the mundaneness of life. You know, if you don't get wasted every so often, those who uh, drive the culture wonder what's wrong with you. It's why we're looking for the next new thing from Hollywood, the next big movie. It promises escape. It's why gambling is addictive. It's why gaming is addictive. It's why we're obsessed with sex or shopping or sports. It's addiction after addiction after addiction. It's escapism. But you can't escape pain and suffering for very long. Fantasy in itself is not inherently bad. You know, a temporary escape into uh, the fantasy world with, um, you know, a, a, a good book like 
some of the things that C.S. Lewis wrote or J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. Now, those are fantasies. Uh, you know, literature can provide a, a temporary escape, but it, it doesn't leave you with the after effects uh, that some of the other things that people uh, in, in, indulge in. And sometimes it can actually uh, help sharpen your, your thinking. So um, what I'm saying is that the fantasy world is, is there and it's tempting. Uh, it has an allure. It's a place that we can go to escape the pain of the current world, right? And this is not just for people uh, who are you know, not Christians. Uh, we're not exempt from fantasizing. At uh, one time or another, we've all sought temporary escape from the pressures and the mundaneness of life. We are as vulnerable to the allure of the same escape routes that non-Christians are. You know, we even have escapist theology. Um, there's a popular uh, eschatological theology about the rapture that, you know, one day Jesus is going to come out of heaven and he's going to rapture us or, you know, pull us out of the world. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a way of escape. And, and that's popular um, in, in our culture. Um, because of that escape feature, we, we want to get away. In verse 10, the preacher says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. You know, some of us would like to turn the calendar back a few decades and return to the good old days. Uh, it's an escape route. It's, a, it's a, an alluring escape route. And I have to admit that there are some things about the 50s and the 60s and even the 70s uh, that were, you know, good things that I, I miss. Um, for example, a penny candy. Some of you uh, remember penny candy if you are uh, as ancient as I am. But uh, when I used to go uh, to visit my uh, grandparents up in the mountains, they had this little uh, general store, just a, a tiny store uh, you walk up to and you go in and they had these jars filled with candy that you could buy for a penny. And, uh, you know, a dime would go a long way, but uh, once you spent 10 cents, you know, the owner of the store, you had this sign up, one cent tats on every 10 cents spent. Uh, it was for those of us who wanted to go up and uh, buy penny candy. So we figured out if you go up and buy nine pieces of penny candy, you get a penny back and then you can buy another piece of penny candy. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we figured that one out. Those, those were good days. I, I re remember those days with fondness. And, uh, you know, something else we could do back in those days is if somebody had a pickup truck, you could sit in the back of it, near the bed of it, and uh, go somewhere on a trip, you know. And, uh, you know, nobody say anything. Uh, that, that was fun. And uh, when we're talking about, while we're talking about you know, riding around in a pickup truck in the, in the bed of the truck. Um, you could go a long way because your gas was so cheap. I fondly remember the days when, you know, gas was a quarter or so a gallon. If it got up to 30 cents a gallon, 29.9, nobody would buy gas. They'd just wait until it would go down, uh, which it would, you know, down maybe 27.9 or something like that, which was pretty much where gas stayed. But... Uh, you know, to say that two cents a gallon, which would probably be, you know, maybe 20 cents or more per tankful, uh, you know, that was worth saving that. 
Sometimes we uh, get nostalgic about the old days and we romanticize the old days and uh, we don't remember the hard things of the good old days. We only remember, you know, the, the, the things that we just kind of treasure in our memories. But, but I want to tell you, I'm, I'm really not in favor of going back to, uh, you know, rotary phones and um, manual typewriters and black and white TV. And, and I am for sure not in favor of going back to the days when there was no air conditioning. So, going back to the old days, you know, we tend to exaggerate the adversity of today and we get nostalgic uh, about yesterday, or, but yesterday had its struggles too. You ever noticed that those who grumble about how bad things are today or grumbling about how bad things were back in those days too. Remember the children of Israel? They're in the desert because they're wandering around and they wanted to go back to Egypt. We were well off in Egypt, they said. They were slaves in Egypt. Why do they think they would be better off being slaves? But, you know, nostalgia has a way of warping our thinking a little bit. Winston Churchill said that when the past argues with the present, there can't be a future. You know, those who are nostalgic about the past really wouldn't want to go back there. And uh, you can count me as, as one of those. You know, the problem with dwelling on the past is that we whitewash and sugarcoat it. And we miss the opportunities and blessings of the present. And... Uh, since we've come upon this verse about, you know, the better days or, uh, you know, why were the former days better than um, the present days? You know, as a congregation, we're in the process of letting go of the past. You know, pretty soon we're going to be letting go of this building, of, of this location. We'll be letting go of our name, uh, which we have held for, you know, close to 180 years now. Um, We'll be embracing a new name, you know, Christ First Church. And uh, we will have to make adjustments. Um, we may need to adjust our Sunday schedule uh, to be more effective in our outreach. Uh, but, you know, every time change comes, we have difficulty letting go. We want to escape into the past. It gives us a, a measure of comfort. You know, fantasy has many forms, all of which involve our imaginations. We like to imagine ourselves living in comfort or pleasure or in a state of power or a state of excitement. And fantasy provides that escape. And for those of us who are part of the church crowd and don't want to admit that we cave into fantasy, we've adopted another one formulas or schemes. In verse 25, uh, Solomon refers to, to this. He says, to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that, well, I got too far along. Here we go. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things. You know, schemes 
could also be observed as formulas. You know, it, it's a plan to, to get something. And the, the, the church subculture, we've uh, adopted the formulaic technique to help us manipulate God and control life so we won't have to face the tangles of life or live with the ambiguity of mystery. We have tons of books and videos that sell thousands of copies telling us you know, the four steps to a more fulfilling marriage or the five ways to living at your full potential or even the six steps to raising perfect kids. See, here's the problem. You know, formulas aren't biblical and they don't work. If Jesus had a formula for fixing life and making it work, he would have given us that formula rather than going to the cross. So, you know, showcase number two sounds good on the surface, but when you examine it more carefully, you'll see that it's really just an escape route, a mixture of fantasy and formula. So let's take a look at our next option, which showcase number one. Remember, we're going in inverse order. So the showcase that seems bad, but is actually better than the way that seems good. Verse 1, you know, the preacher again says something really strange. Good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death is uh, than the day of birth. Why is a death day better than a birthday? It's because a funeral reveals ultimate questions, issues, and answers about life. A funeral reveals what you've lived for. It's why it's so bad when a bad life is covered up uh, in a funeral service. Hold on a second. I can't find the hole here. There's a story from the hills of East Tennessee about a man who lived in a particular town who lived a very immoral life. And uh, his wife, by contrast, was a godly woman and uh, she came to the preacher on the, the day that her husband, Ben, died. And she said, preacher, everybody in town knows what kind of man my husband was. So don't you preach him into heaven. You tell the truth and you preach the gospel at his, at his funeral. So everybody in town went to the funeral, mostly to hear what the preacher was going to say. So he got up and he said, well, old Ben is in hell now. And there was an amen. <laughs> he came from the front row. It was his wife. You know, the funeral service revealed what his life was like. On death day, the preacher says, said it's better than a birthday because the funeral poses and reveals ultimate questions about life. It's not that a birthday is bad. Understand, he, he doesn't say that the day of, of birth is bad and the day of death is good. He just says the day of death is better because it reveals what your life is really all about. The key word here is, is better. He's not saying that one is good and the other is bad. It's not that funerals are good and birthday parties are bad. 
but one is better than the other. Better than means more good. Not one is good and the other is bad. But doesn't this seem counterintuitive? Doesn't it seem to go against the grain of logic? It goes against everything that seems right to us. A lot of things in the Bible do. You know, if we were writing these verses, uh, we'd say something like this. Be happy at a feast with laughter and partying. That is way better than mourning and sorrow over your short life that will come to an end before you know it. Yet the preacher says in verse 4, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or laughter. Why does he say this? Because there is wisdom in being more than casually aware of the fragility of your life. There is so much more we can learn about the meaning of life at a funeral than we could ever learn about life at a dozen birthday parties or any other kind of party. You know, I've never been to a birthday party and thought about my mortality. Have you? <laughs> but when you go to a funeral, you can't help but think that your time is coming. Funerals call us to truly live in light of the fact that your life is short, it's temporary, and it's fragile. Okay, before we go on, let's review what we've done so far. We've, we've looked at two showcases. First, we looked at showcase number two, the showcase that seems good but isn't as good as it seems. And then we looked at showcase that, that seems bad but is actually better than the way that seems good. You know, that's showcase number one. So which showcase would you choose? Showcase number one or showcase number two? Before you answer, I, I know you're quick to press the button, which is not there. Um, before you answer, there, there's something that you need to know. Showcase number one is presented as the way of wisdom, and showcase number two has presented as the way of folly. We don't use that word folly, so we'll say foolishness. So what makes showcase number one the wise choice? It's all about perspective. You know what perspective is? It's being able to see things the way God sees them. If you can see things from God's perspective and have incredible insight into Scripture, that's wisdom. And you don't get wisdom by experiencing only happiness all the time. In every life, some tears must fall. In every life, some pain must be endured. In every life, uh, some sorrow must be experienced. When you mix all of that together, you experience life the way God wants us to experience life. He gives us some good things and he gives us some hard things and we never know when one is going to come we never know when something really good is going to happen to us and we don't know when something really hard is going to come our way but we are going to have both of those experiences and so as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes when the good things come enjoy them when the parties are available go have fun enjoying the feasting the merriment and the celebration 
have a good time. But when the hard times come, you can learn from them. And uh, it gives you an opportunity to view life from God's perspective. So here is the perspective Solomon or, or the preacher here uh, wants to, to get to us. Suffering is inevitable. And there are two approaches you can take that will help you deal with it. Uh, the first approach is to trust God to use suffering in your life, to walk through it with you. This is the wise approach. Or you can take the second approach. You can attempt to escape or to anesthetize yourself against suffering somehow. And uh, we've already talked about some of those ways that, uh, of escape that seem so alluring to you. But you really can't escape suffering. There's not enough that you can drink that would give you an escape. There's not enough drugs that you can take that would deliver you from suffering. There's not enough of anything that you can do that will enable you to escape suffering. Eventually, you have to face up to it. And you have to face up to the fact that, you know, ultimately, um, our, our lives will come to an end. So that's why Solomon wants us to understand how bad can be better. We either deny suffering, seeking to escape it, or we embrace a biblical perspective on suffering. So our choices are wisdom or foolishness, escapism or faith. Do you see what the preacher is saying to us in this chapter? He's setting before us two ways of living, the way of escapism or the way of faith, the way of foolishness or the way of wisdom, the way that ultimately leads to a life of satisfaction and the way that ultimately leads to a life of frustration and dissatisfaction. You know, that sounds like a presentation of the gospel, doesn't it? And in light of what we have learned in Ecclesiastes, maybe it would be a good idea to reconsider how we present the gospel. You know, the typical question in a gospel presentation will include this question. If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? But there's a major flaw in this approach. You know, who really believes that there's even the remotest chance that they will die tonight or, or tomorrow or this year? You know, most people don't think that that's a reality. So for them, it's, it's an irrelevant question. So maybe we should ask a question like this. If you were to live tomorrow and wake up and eat breakfast, do you know how you would handle the pressures and the frustrations and the boredom of the day that is to come? You see what Solomon is telling us? He's saying, you know, what we as a church culture like to think, you know, we need Jesus when we die because we, we want to go to heaven. So that's why Jesus is important. But what the preacher in Ecclesiastes is saying, you, you need God to live. There are pressures, stressful things 
sorrowful things, painful things that you are going to have to endure in life. There is no way to escape those things. So you need God with you and you need his perspective on it all. So whether in death or in life, you need Jesus. That's what he's saying. So life with Jesus isn't just about going to heaven when you die. It's about living the fulfillment of that life now. So what's it going to be? Showcase number one or showcase number two? The way that seems good, but it's not as good as it seems, or the way that seems bad, but it's actually much better than the way that seems good. It's one perspective on life contrasted with the other. It's one, or it's a way of escapism contrasted with the way of trust. You know, each week we gather together and um, worship our Lord, and the worship culminates as we gather around the table to remember Jesus' death. And as Wonderful as the day of Jesus' birth was, the day of his death was better. Did we hear that somewhere? You remember verse 1? The day of death is better than the day of birth. Why is Jesus' death better? Now, through his death, Jesus accomplished something that he could not accomplish if he had not died as he did. It, it, it it's as though Jesus was presented you know, two options from the Father. Two, two showcases. Showcase number one was to empty himself of his glory by becoming a human being, living a perfect life and submitting to a cruel death on the cross and then rise from the dead. In the end, he would save his people from their sins. Or showcase number two, remain in heaven and enjoy it. Avoid the pain, the rejection, the suffering, in the end, we would still be in our sins without hope of redemption, but Jesus would not have to suffer. One of these options seemed to be a bad one, but was really better. We know, of course, which option Jesus chose, which showcase he chose. By choosing to come into this sin-cursed world, Jesus knew what it was like to live the way that we do with the pain and the sorrow. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief, as Scripture says. And yet, he knew how to enjoy his brief life even though he was accused by the religious world of being a drunkard and a glutton. So that means Jesus had to have gone to the house of feasting to have that reputation Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet he died a cruel death. And we understand the benefits that that has for us. It's redemption, and redemption means ultimate satisfaction. But what was in it for Jesus? Do you ever wonder? The same thing. Our redemption. By laying down his life for us, Jesus gained the ultimate satisfaction. Our redemption, meaning that he would not only be known as creator, the majestic one, 
the sovereign of the universe. He would be known as Redeemer. And that brings ultimate satisfaction to our Lord. There are two options before you, two gates through which you may enter, the narrow gate and the wide gate. Enter the narrow gate, Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's what Jesus said. And it's essentially what Solomon said. There is a way that seems good, but it's not as good as it seems. And there is a way that seems bad, but is actually better than the way it seems. When it comes to choosing the path you believe will lead you to ultimate satisfaction, the way, the gate, the path, the showcase that seems bad is actually better. Let's pray. Lord, every time we get into the scripture, we see some things that confound us, confuse us, uh, cause us to, to wonder, sometimes in awe, and sometimes maybe in frustration. We have difficulty sometimes reconciling what we think life really should be and what we read in scripture. And today we come to such a passage but it does reveal things from a different perspective than the one that seems to be innate in us. Oh, what we ask for is wisdom, the ability to see life from your perspective and to have deep insight into your word so that we may come to know you better. And realizing that along the way, that, you know, if, if you gave us everything that we asked for, everything that we wanted, uh, we would enjoy that and it would be, it'd be good, but it really couldn't compare to be able to know you as you are and that can't come apart from enduring some pain, some suffering, some bewilderment along the way. But in your goodness and in your grace, you give us things that in our estimation are very good. You give us a lot of those things. But you also give us things that you make good. You cause all things to work together for good to those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Give us this perspective on life. Give us wisdom that we may have what it takes to make the right choice, to choose the right path, the right gate, the right showcase, just as Jesus our Lord did. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.